Leadership is changing. Are you? I know, I know. You got a billion things to do. You got goals to hit. You got things to get done. The last thing you need to do is think about how and what kind of leader you need to be and what's going on in the leadership space. But by the time we're done with this podcast, you're going to have some great ideas on how simple it can be to really think about a different perspective on your leadership and get honest with yourself about what kind of leader you are and what kind of leader you could be. It's time for the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stress, and I know whether you're starting a small business, you're a solopreneur, or a leader in a large company, you need to collaborate with people. I want to help you make those collaborations fulfilling, productive, and as profitable as possible. So every Monday morning, we'll drop a new podcast episode to do just that. So let's get into today's discussion. So welcome back, everybody, for another podcast. I hope you had a fantastic week since we last spoke and uh, doing something really fun, I'm sure. So we're talking about leadership is changing, but are you? Are you changing with it? And you think about what leadership used to be uh, and what you know it is to be now. And for, for those of us, depending on your age group, you might be new to the workforce. You might be been in it for 20 or 30 years or maybe even a little bit longer. Or maybe you're at the end of your career and you've seen a lot of changes throughout the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, and so on. And you've seen a lot of different things in what is it from before and what's it becoming. And it's so easy to think before, well, it was just autocratic, um, just the, people cracked the whip and they didn't expect you to bring any personal stuff into the workspace and all of those kinds of things. So let's go back in time a little bit, back to around the 1840s when we look at kind of a leadership timeline and, and mentalities and how things were done. So around the 1840s, the, the, the leadership structure was the great man, meaning great leaders are born and not made. So that was really, uh, you were born into the right family, whether it was a small tribe somewhere or maybe it was royalty or things like that. But it was almost like it was impossible to gain a status if you weren't already in a family doing well. And that's kind of where it was stuck. So they really felt like you were just born into it. Like you couldn't learn those things, couldn't develop into some kind of great leader. And that kind of went on for almost a hundred years. Because if you really think about it, it's kind of mind boggling when you think about the industrial revolution, how things were relatively the same before that for a couple hundred years, little advancements here and there, but nothing major until that happened. And then in the thirties and 40s, it kind of went to what is called trait theories. Uh, you're smart enough already, like you're not learning, you're just smart enough already, or you're creative enough to be in charge. So it was still kind of a given that based on your skill set, that you should just be in charge. Maybe you invented something. You think about the early pioneers of the Industrial Revolution, which wound up controlling just about everything. Well, it was just thought of that, well, if you could do that, well, maybe you should be in control of, of, of certain things. And um, that was considered a leadership position. So you didn't really go somewhere to dig your way up through the the corporate ladder or start at the bottom and work your way up. You just kind of had to show up that way uh, in order to prove who you were. And then uh, probably about two, three decades later, more into the 60s, was the original development of the situational leadership style, which is one of my personal favorites because I know that's predating his time a little bit, but uh, as many of you probably are, I'm a huge Ken Blanchard fan, just huge. And situational leadership has really served me 
well as far as really trying to figure out where people are at and leading them from where they're at and giving them the kind of leadership they need based on where they're at. But keep in mind, you know, we just jumped from the 30s and 40s to the 60s, but I often think about things like Dale Carnegie's books, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and that was written in the 20s. Uh, That book is coming up on 100 years old, and it's still time-tested and still very true because it's values-based, it's principles-based, and no matter what we come up with, what new thing to look at, when your values and principle-based, well, those always stand the test of time, but it, it didn't really catch on, obviously, as a way of doing business because if you think about how things were run in those decades, there's no way um, there was any kind of or much of a space of thought leadership, maybe in the academic sense, but that would probably be about it. And just doing some studies maybe, but in the normal workplace, that that still wasn't a thing. But what started happening in the 70s was more of a transactional type leadership. So in other words, it was either rewards or punishments. So that's where it really started to kick in that you could get rewarded for hard work, or if you didn't make it, you know, we'll see you later kind of thing. So that was going on. And then in the 80s, it became really in vogue, if you will, about management. And that's where you really started to see a a sense of or theories of just structured management. But with that, it didn't just come with a a hierarchy or an org chart. It came with an absolute, almost like the military, just rankings. You just kind of knew where you stood and that was your job to do that and obey whatever it is you needed to do. So it really kind of went away from, you know, when you think about in the 60s of situational leadership or even transactional leadership, once it became more structured, it was just, that's where, you know, we kind of went back a little bit into my way or the highway or, or, or things like that. And um, that's where you started seeing a ton of company layoffs. People were really focused on profits. And you go back and look at the 80s and hey, I'm an 80s kid. So definitely my favorite decade. But you think about the living to excess and all that kind of stuff. And, and when the yuppies were born and those were the things of the day. And um, so it kind of went off the rails a little bit in the 80s. So when you got back into the 90s, This is where servant leadership started to take hold because people were getting tired of all of that, of of being managed into a box. And, you know, you you think about the the movie with Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, nine to five. That is a perfect example of no matter what you did, you couldn't get ahead in the 80s. So that was really turning a lot of people off. And a lot of organizations were suffering big time because of that. So now servant leadership is coming along. And this is where it really really started becoming the thing to, or they really kind of figured out that, hey, if you served your people first, then maybe they would perform better. And that's really the key to that. So what's next for leadership now? It's one of the reasons I started this podcast and why I structure it the way I do. And we're going to come back to that as far as what's next in the leadership realm, because here comes the big debate as we transition even from servant leadership, which I'm sure most of you are, is the big debate of hard skills versus soft skills. And and this is where people just like, oh, come on, you know, I don't want to be Dr. Phil at work. I don't want to be a psychologist. I don't want to have to dig into what everybody's about. But that's how you really build your team and you really have to invest. So as a leader, when you're saying, you know, what's the hard thing to do versus what's the soft thing to do? Well, the harder work is really understanding your team and developing them, not just like what's their favorite color or their pet. I mean, that's all part of it. But sometimes we talk about soft skills. Everybody just 
kind of goes to that, that, oh, it's it's about fluffy things. And it really isn't, you know, getting to know, you know, what somebody's favorite animal is, is a one minute conversation, but really getting into, hey, what are they good at? What do they bring to the team? What are the things that kind of make them tick? And how can you serve that and understand that and make it okay to not put everybody in the same box, but to get to the goals that you want to get based on who they are and how they are. So you, you can't just say, oh, it's just soft stuff. It doesn't matter. And I think a lot of us realize that, but often we're, we're intimidated or worn out because you have so many other goals to deal with. You have deadlines to meet. You got projects to, to finish. And it's like, where do I have time for all this stuff and how do I understand it? So at, at first, you know, it seems really hard, but the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And this is the key factor of really building trust in your team and really getting them to understand that you are there for them. You are there to help grow them. Because like I've always said, leadership's not about you, but then it will be about you. So when you're building your team to a higher level and developing people and you get them to the point, as Ken Blanchard always says, get them to the point where they don't need you anymore. That means a couple of things. One, you're ready for a bigger challenge and a bigger team. And two, somebody else or a group of somebody else's on that same team is also ready for bigger challenges and bigger things to do. And it just kind of self-perpetuates because as you create that culture of developing other people, learning to understand them and doing things, they're going to start doing that with people who aren't as far along as they are. And that's just going to self-perpetuate into it. So a lot of times you think, man, this is so hard. I don't have the time. But I'm telling you, the payoff down the road makes work so much better. Because if you are chasing people down, putting out fires, chasing bad behaviors, chasing constant mistakes, not a mistake, because you got to leave room for your people to fail once in a while because we all do and you got to have some grace in that but to not have that same constant mistake or if you find yourself talking about somebody's bad behavior but yet you never do anything to address it well you kind of deserve it as a leader who's in charge you or their behaviors that you haven't corrected so you really got to think long-term strategy if you're really building a team a successful company even if you're an entrepreneur and or a solopreneur you're by yourself, but you're creating an atmosphere for your customers or your clients like no other. And that takes time to do. It takes relationships to build. And that's why I've always said in other podcasts that it really does take seconds to build trust, not years, because you're doing those in all these small interactions. And the more you try to understand people from a higher level perspective, the better you're going to build your team. So you got to think about, you know, what kind of uh, leadership skills are are you are you about? So I'm going to go through some of them and, and try and see if you can see where you fall into this this area here because this is an article in Forbes that um, I found that kind of gets into some of these things. So when you think about are you continually learning and unlearning? You know, nothing stays the same. In the one sense, there's always new things to learn. But in the other sense, you think about that phrase, what got you here won't get you there. Do you unlearn stuff? Stuff you don't need to do anymore that we just always done it that way. And you can't break those, those, those you know, the blinders to get past all that. Um, Number two, are you broadening your perspectives? You know, everybody is not you. You think about if you're looking around your office, everybody looks like you, everybody talks like you, everybody has the exact same things they like to do. Your business is going to run that way from one perspective, not multiple perspectives. And that really um, digs into your creativity. And you think, well, if there's a structure in place, people are supposed to do what they're supposed to do. But how many times have you seen where problems were brought up and solved by people doing the work, people touching the work, not exactly the creators. You know, you think about 
about design versus user experience and how different that is from time to time where no matter how awesome you thought something was, the people actually touching the work can give you a better perspective on it. Say, hey, this is not working or what if you added this? You know, all those kind of things. So can you not only learn new things, but unlearn things? Number three, are you a problem solver? You know, as I always say, love that saying. I mean, I didn't come up with it, but I love the saying of expect problems and eat them for breakfast. If you're a leader, you got problems. If you have no problems whatsoever, you aren't leading anything. You think you might be, or you're phoning it in or just not showing up. But if you don't have any problems whatsoever, you're not leading. And when you are leading, you got problems. And the better you get at handling problems, how you accept them, how you coach people through them, um, how you start seeing them in advance is a huge quality. Number four, developing self-awareness. This is the uh, good old sharpen the saw from the number seven habits of highly effective people. Are you learning from your mistakes? Are you getting better than you used to be? When you think about the problems you have, are you looking at you first? As I always say, are you looking in the execution mirror? As a leader, you're looking at your team and looking at things that aren't happening and it's really just bothering you, but are you looking at yourself first? You look in the mirror before you look out the window kind of thing. And are you looking at what you could have done, what you could have explained, what you could have seen coming before things go horribly wrong? Uh, number five, improving communication. Are you clear? Did they understand you? And it's easy for us to say that as leaders that, hey, yes, you do need clear direction. And you need to make sure they understand what you say, but it's got to be a two-way street too. That is your door always open? Are you open to receiving communication or even feedback in the other direction? Which leads me to number six, thinking strategically. You know, so often we want to just finish the goals of the day, whatever's in front of us and things like that and what's good for you. But have you thought about if you're in a multi-level organization, what about other departments? Or what is the, what is the end goal for what your team really needs? needs? You know, is it what, what makes sense for what is actually going on? So thinking strategically versus emotionally, are you really willing to accept the data in front of you? You know, I talk as a private pilot, you know, when you're flying by instruments, do you believe the instruments in front of you? Or do you just go by feeling and hope you're right? And that is not something you want to do if you're flying in clouds and you can't see the ground. That is not good. And sometimes in business, we we think that too. We think um, we don't have to address a problem or just go away. You know, HR problems go away on their own. You just tell people, knock it off and go back to work. Or you're not looking at some sales data and really believing that something is trending in a certain way. And you, you really should have looked at that and you didn't do that. Um, so thinking strategically versus emotionally. And lastly, thinking globally. You know, what is the bigger picture? And most importantly, is what is going on aligned with your missions? Now, hopefully you have a really good vision, mission, and strategy. And the things you're doing every single day are aligning with that. That's exactly what should be happening. So thinking globally, thinking big picture stuff, not just what's good for you at the moment is uh, kind of what's important. So now that we've kind of gone through a little bit of behaviors, let's talk about actual leadership styles. So thinking about 10 leadership styles, and this is from the bestschools.org in an article uh, in April of 2021. And so how would you describe yourself? 10 different leadership styles here. So are you a transformation? leader. 
meaning can you bring a group from one place to another? Talking about continuous improvement. Uh, for many years, I would be put into different organizations that weren't functioning like they should have been. And I kind of felt like I was a transformational leader or, or you think about that show Bar Rescue where they walk in as a customer before they know they're there. Things are horribly wrong and they're, they they, they got to fix things, what they're serving, how they're serving, how, you know, what, what the, what's their profit margin on drinks, all those kind of things. A transformational leader of really bringing a team from one level to another. Or number two, do you find yourself as a democratic leader? Meaning it's really delegation and empowerment. And this one, as soon as I say that, democratic, it's like, how can you say that's a leadership style? Now, I'm not talking about democratic, like Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about, um, you know, basically you guys have a group think meeting about everything. And you're thinking, how could this work? Um, there's not a lot of situations where that might work. But when you think about who you have on your team, can you empower them to do the things you do? The danger here, though, is really having just a hired gun mentality or lack of a structure if you're really depending on either delegating everything or everybody's just working independently on their own. And this, number two, kind of scares me a little bit when you think about this past year of how many people are working from home and just Zooming it in. Like we would say before, oh, you can't phone in your work. Now you're kind of Zooming it in. And I know they're working. I'm not saying you know people are at home not working, but there's just something about people not being together in the same space. And that's only going to get them so far of zooming it in and, and not seeing everybody every day. And I, I don't know, it's just a different space. And it's a very dangerous thing to have a democratic type leadership where you can really depend on everybody doing what they should do, which number three is kind of the opposite of that, the autocratic um, style leadership. Now, this is what most of us think, you know, decades ago of just somebody cracking the whip or a military style, yes, sir, right away, sir, kind of thing. And you think, man, well, I would never Never want to have that kind of leadership, but think about it. There are some situations you definitely need autocratic leadership. You think about crisis situations or can you imagine an emergency room, how that's led? It's not just like people come in sick and they just put them somewhere. There's a structure to that and there's somebody in charge of that. So imagine somebody coming in in the emergency room. There's one focus of keeping that patient alive. And you think about trying to have transformational leadership or democratic leadership trying to come to an agreement. You can't have that. You got to have immediate response and immediate structure and immediate answers or the patient's going to die. So there are a few instances where that could be. Number four, what I like to call marshmallow leadership, or they call laissez-faire. And you know what that means. They just typically um, don't work. They just kind of let people do whatever they want. They they think they have this false sense of, well, you know, maybe they'll feel better if, if they're that way. Now you can have some of this in a sense, meaning if you lead a group of other leaders who are A-type leaders, you certainly don't want to micromanage them. So I don't want to say, that the, this phase of laissez-faire marshmallow management is particularly helpful because then it just looks like you're like, okay, you guys do all the work and I'll just kind of chill. But there is a side of that where you don't want to micromanage people who are who are A-type personalities because that's the first thing that you can do to turn them off. So that one you have to be super careful with. Number five, bureaucratic leadership. So if you're in a multi-level company, you've got districts and markets and regions and divisions and all of that. And then you 
you break it off into you got different business unit responsibilities. You got marketing, you got community services, you got product development and all that stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And you're already like, oh, I know, I know. You know, trying to get anything done at a high level just takes forever. And how you navigate through the red tape on doing a lot of things, this is the thing that really hurts a lot of companies that really have a lot of separation between the execution and the vision. You know, in the previous podcast, I talked about the three levels of leadership, the leadership pendulum, where the front line, that's the execution level. So that's what's happening. No matter how well you train them, no matter what you think they should be doing, that's what they're actually doing is what counts. And then the high level, the vision, well, in the middle of that, middle management, is the bridge level. You don't exactly write the vision, but you aren't exactly the executor either. And how all that comes together in that bureaucratic type leadership is critical in how well a company can either survive or just die a slow death or just hide you know, between uh, what should happen and what didn't happen. And you know, you see a lot of large companies that are bureaucratic structures just because of their sheer size. And you're thinking, why do they go through a CEO every three to four years if things are running right? And why do we need to make that change? Because there's a definite disconnect on what should be happening and what did happen. And number six, servant leadership. Others come first. Knowing that building the team creates the long-term success, like all your energy goes into creating the team so they can function at a high level. Number seven, we talked about transactional before, uh, rewards for good and bad. So you think about sales commissions and things that are super tangible, that are easy to to quantify. Either you hit your target or you didn't. Those are very easy things. Uh, Number eight, situational leadership. Again, Ken Blanchard, this is really, if you don't know this or haven't taken time to really dig into situational leadership, you got to do it. I, I can't tell you the stories in my career where this is just giving me so much clarity and the the productivity behind it of getting so much better of giving the kind of leadership people need for where they're at. There's a big difference there. Not what they want, but what they really need based on where they're at. So it could be an entire job or it could be just a brand new part of their job that they're just new at. And so just real quick, I'll run through them. So, So level one is they don't know what they don't know. They just got there. They just got promoted, just got hired. So excited to be there. They don't know anything. They're just happy to be there. It doesn't take long to get to the next level of they now start to know what they don't know. They really understand, wow, I should know more than this, or I'm not effective. This is where a lot of self-doubt and anxiety comes in. And at this stage is where you got to be honest with them and say, look, for right now, I'm going to micromanage it just a little bit because I need to make sure you understand all these things. And as you move into phase three, of they, they now understand what they need to know and can move forward. That's when you can start backing off a little bit. Phase four is when they're that they're the A type personality. They just got it. They, they, they not only understand the material, they don't understand the job. They can teach others. They're one of the best at it. And they're looking at the next level on top of that. And all they really need is encouragement. So And that's a really basic breakdown. It's not even close to really everything about it, but you really owe it to yourself to get into that. Um, Number nine, cross-cultural leadership. Now this could be actually cultural. So if you think about if you have an international business and how they do business in other countries, but that could just be how they do business in another state or another city, another business unit. Hey, we don't do that around here. There's a lot of that, that just what's done here isn't done in you know, the next division over and it, it's cross-cultural. And number 10, charismatic. Now this is just leading through inspiration and uh, yeah, that's handy, but what happens when you run out of that, that charismatic leader? So most people you know, led by personality, it really is a dangerous thing because sometimes that can be very empty. 
that they're just just a charisma of it. Charisma. I know it's the wrong thing to say. It's just a joke from a thing in the 80s, but um, you can't run on that alone. It's just a piece of that. But all of these things I just described to you, a lot of people do these just based on their own personality and experience. So as I was talking, I wondered, did you see kind of where you fell in those things? Or hopefully you kind of see that there's all those different pieces that you probably need some of all of those things. So what I want to end with is just really some easy ways to think about that, of how you can do that, because that's a lot to take in. And like I said at the beginning, there's so much for you to do already, so many deadlines to meet and all those things. So how do you know all these different leadership styles and what you need and what you don't need? How do you know when you need to be autocratic? How do you know when you need to be a servant leader or transactional leader, situational leader? You need to develop all of these skills and use them when you need them and have them in your your, your leadership tool bag of when does it work and when does it not work? So this is not about confusing people. Like, you know, I talked about leadership shouldn't be like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get and you're constantly confusing your people. They don't know which person, which version of you you're going to be today. But what I am talking about is what you want to do is is tell them, here's why I'm being this way. I'm being autocratic because this has to happen. I mean, that could be an OSHA regulation, a safety regulation for, for all intents and purposes. It doesn't have to be you just want to be in charge and have the final say in everything. So let me tell you some things that I think leadership should be to kind of make it a little bit easier space. So when you're talking about how you're going to lead your people, even in a day or in an hour in a situation, just be upfront with them and tell them, this is why I'm leading you this way. But first, leadership should should be cerebral. Again, you should be thinking about different leadership styles without, without your people involved just yet. Just think about what leadership style makes sense and why and understanding it. Again, thinking about a tool bag of leadership of what you can use and when you can use it. Leadership should be curious. Why does that work? Why does, in some cases, transformational leadership work? Why does bureaucratic leadership work? Why does situational leadership work? Be curious about it. Be curious about your people and what makes them tick and what do they need to, to, to function better? Leadership should be generous with your time. Again, I've always said this, that leadership's not about you, but later it'll be about you because as you give to your people so often, we got to get away from the, well, if I make half my team incredibly awesome, then they're going to outshine me. And that, you know, that doesn't really happen. You, you think about NFL teams that win the Super Bowl, the coach is as lauded as the players are and the coach never once stepped on the field. Leadership should provide stewardship. You have to realize, like when I talk about you have a finite time to play an infinite game, Simon Sinek's infinite game, um, that you're just a steward. You're just there for a certain period of time. And, and it's in your responsibility of how you're going to spend not only your time, but their time, how you're going to guide them. What are you going to leave behind of being a good steward of them? Leadership should be futuristic. Where are we going? This is a, something I see a lot of leaders don't consider thinking about is the future. If you're a leader, a large portion of your planning, of your development for the, your people, for your products, for your processes need to be in the future. You know, Jeff Bezos said that in an interview that everybody that reported directly to him worked in the future. Where are you going? Where is your team going next? Not what they're doing, getting done like what's on their desk today, but what's coming. So, and then leadership should be about tell me more when you're dealing with your team. That is a great response when they're struggling, when they got issues, when they have successes. Tell me more. Tell me what happened. Tell me how I can help. Give me, give me more to go on. 
Don't just let them gripe. Although I do set aside a, a special uh, gripe session for them because there are frustrations. So if you know that up front, that's, that's one thing. And say, hey, Anytime you need to let it out, tell me first. Don't just start blasting away. Say, hey, I need, and I call it a session. I said, but I need a session. Okay, I'll give you a session, but you got to tell me first. But everything else is like, tell me more. Tell me more about what's what your successes are or what's bothering you. Because when I look at leadership, you know, the leader's attitude and how you protect the culture is the thermostat for your culture. And no matter what you do for a quote unquote living, whether you're in marketing, whether you're an attorney or leading a group of attorneys, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of leadership role you're in or what you actually do. Your real profession is leadership. And when you really embrace that and the concepts behind it and where leadership is going, you're going to be unstoppable as a leader. And if you can remember just a couple of those things and always remember the phrase that leadership is not about you, but later it will be about you, that's when you know you'll have a truly successful career. Thank you so much for joining me for another show. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and start up your own discussions on the topic of the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. And check out the links in the show notes and give us a rating so we know how we're doing and five stars would be pretty sweet. So until next week, remember, you know you have to get work done with other people, but how you get done work with other people is entirely up to you.